0: Welcome to episode 197 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode three, Power Broker, directed by Kari Skoglund, written by Derek Colstad, and the head writer for the series is, of course, Malcolm Spellman. But before we begin our spoiler review, there's another Marvel topic, another big Marvel topic that just came up this weekend when Marvel Studios dropped a new trailer for Black Widow, And you can hear us talk about that trailer over on the Patreon, patreon patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in our show notes, because we have Patreon credit scenes that correspond with most of our main episodes. And so for this episode 197, the corresponding Patreon credit scene features our conversation about that brand new Black Widow trailer, as well as our thoughts on Russell Crowe appearing in Thor Love and Thunder and which character he might be playing. So you can check that out along with plenty of other exclusive podcasts over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. And then make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And also if you are enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to those of you who have already taken the time to do that. And now on with our show.
1: Paul Herman, how's it going? Uh, really, really well. Um, sorry for my last uh, audio issues, everybody. And for whatever reason, I thought I was plugged into my main microphone, but I wasn't. So, for those who uh, let me know, I appreciate it because I figured it out. And um, yeah, I apologize. But yes, I'm I'm back. I uh, I'm bummed. I'm really am bummed I missed the last uh show because last week's episode was ridiculously awesome and. Uh, I love that. I just want to say out the gate. Last week's episode might be my favorite of the season so far. Still, um, maybe, maybe even with WandaVision uh, so Mm. far, I'm, I'm, I loved last week's episode. It was, it was a Marvel zombie dream come true, to be quite honest. So at least for a lot of things for me. So yeah, last week's episode was awesome, but I'll just leave it there. We've got this episode to kind of, you know, digest and break down and talk about, so yeah, right ready
0: yeah we've got a lot to talk about for this week's episode because mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes on in this week's episode maybe too much I don't know yeah. uh, we'll, <laughs> might be a
1: little too much we'll
0: get into that as we go along but we will start as always at the beginning we will go scene by scene and break it all down as we like to do here on the MCU fan show so we open with the global repatriation Council the GRC, and we open with an ad, so this felt very Wandavision. Like all of a sudden, there's an ad. Yeah. Um, but uh, they're talking. The Global Repatriation Council is talking about how they're helping people navigate changes to society, laws, and borders uh, in the wake of the blip and the return. Uh, and they're helping people get back to the way things were: reset, restore, rebuild. Maybe not everything. If they're talking about having to help people adapt to changes in society, laws, and borders. Uh, There's also some border changes that Zemo references later on in the show that we will have to discuss. But the next thing we see after this very hopeful, helpful GRC ad is a GRC van that's also a police van. And who's there? It's the new Captain America and Battlestar. That's John Walker and Lamar Hoskins, respectively. And they are there to go after the civilian. We knew from last week's episode they were going after civilians. And here they're busting the person who offered refuge to the Flag Smashers in last week's episode. And we already know that this guy here, we already know he speaks English, but he refuses to speak English to John Walker. He's speaking German. And then Walker doesn't speak German. Hoskins does. So he has to call over Hoskins to translate. But Hoskins only translates part of it. He only translates the part where the guy says he doesn't know what they're talking about with Carly Morgenthau and the Flag Smashers and all of that stuff. But there's also a line that this guy says, you Americans have become brutes. Hoskins leaves that part out, maybe because he doesn't trust what Walker would do if Walker heard that part of it. And for good reason, because the guy then spits in Walker's face and then Walker slams him against the wall and says, do you know, screams at him, do you know who I am? And this guy, I got to give him full credit here. Yes, I do. And I don't care. Just love that. And it's such an interesting moment to see that with Walker to just kind of lose it at that sign of disrespect from this guy. Because Walker thinks that the suit makes him cap and that it automatically commands respect. And he learns here that it absolutely does not. And he got a lot of that from Bucky and Sam last week. But here's from a guy who's not a superhero, didn't know Steve Rogers, sees the suit just doesn't care, has no respect for uh, for Walker and the position of the title of Captain America, the suit, the shield, none of it. This guy just doesn't care. And Hoskins actually becomes the voice of reason, You know, has to pull Walker away from this guy, talks about what Carly is doing, providing medicine and resources, that she's creating loyalty. Um, but what we really see in this scene, I think, for John Walker is he's already, this dude's already coming apart. He's growing increasingly mm-hmm. frustrated by... Being by just this learning curve he's on right now, of where being Captain America isn't necessarily what he thought it was going to be. It doesn't give him, I mean, he's wielding power and authority freely as Captain America. So there's a part of him that's certainly enjoying this, but there's also a lot of pressure and a lot of expectations that he's not necessarily living up to. And nobody's going to help him do that by just automatically giving him respect because he has that shield. And we see that Walker's not exactly happy about that.
1: And to me, Last week's episode was a great example of showing how John Walker, who he is. I wouldn't, and I I think that the show has done a great job so far of showing that John Walker is not a bad guy. He's not just, he's just not the nicest guy in the world. And even though that, you know, we all know hell is, uh, is, you know, the the road to good intentions, you know, hell is paved the road of good intentions, whatever. Mm you know, John Walker is, is trying his best, but he naturally is not Steve Rogers and and evident. And that's all the way through what the point of his character is. And going back to the comic books, which I love the character. I do love John Walker because he's not Steve Rogers. That's the point. And he knows that too in the comics. And I think this character, what we're seeing is he's going to realize that as he goes, um, as this new version of captain America, he's going to realize like in in this moment, with but with Cappy and uh, with Cappy, with Bucky and, and Falcon, he you know, he's told by them, like, you're not Captain America. Like, he doesn't get their respect. And I, I think he expected that. He tried to win them over and it mm-hmm. didn't happen. So he's like, Okay, I'm just gonna move on and I'm still Captain America. And then I think he got a dose of reality here, whereas no, people don't care yeah. that he's not Captain America. And I think that to me is what you know, you're starting to see the frustration on his face that right. you know, he's not getting it anywhere. And I think that to me is what the character was really made him interesting in the comic books in the first place and why i think they're adapting him here is that you're seeing the fact of you know why the, the you know the spirit and the and what rep, captain america represents is so much more than just an, you know an, a night a physical suit and that's the whole point where we're getting through this episode one of the stronger one of the stronger themes of the episode in the series, I think, is that idea of legacy that I talked about in the first episode. We're seeing that just because you come from a legacy doesn't mean you get to have the benefits of that legacy. And so John Walker, you know, in the comics, he's burdened with that throughout the whole time he's Captain America. And we're going to get that through the series. And I love that we're getting a little more grittier version of that with this. And so when he spit in his face and Walker lost it, I'm like, oh, man, they're going full on John Walker here. That's him. He he yeah. is unhinged a little bit. And I I like the fact that we're gonna see again, we're gonna see the fact of why this guy and why it shouldn't be Captain America and also what the ideas and the ideals of Captain America re- really represent um in what Steve had made it and turned it into. So I, I, lo- I love this depiction of the character. Wyatt Russell, I think, is a fun he's Perfect John Walker. Just perfect. I, I also like the idea that this John Walker, he's a little bit more of a pretty boy than the the comic book version. The comic book version is he's more like a, a linebacker, if you will, Sean, like a, you know, middle linebacker, you know, like just been like beating his head against the wall kind of thing. Not quite a meathead kind of idea, but like, you know, just, just kind of, he's not a Gronk, not like that, but maybe not too far off either is what I would say. Uh, but he's, but he's a little more charismatic this version, but I love the fact that he's that, that unhinged idea is already initiated here and it's brutal. And Wyatt Russell does a great job. Uh, I think depicting that.
0: Yeah, I think he really does. And I, I like that. It's a steady, somewhat steady progression with John Walker. Like he was understanding of Bucky and Sam, not embracing him when he first met them last week. And then in this week's episode, or even at the end of the episode, Like, I gave you guys time to get adjusted to me being the guy, and now you still don't want to team up with me, so then he goes, he he tries to turn on the animosity a bit and say, just stay the hell out of my way, like, Mm -hmm. they care, and then (laughs) this week, it gets even worse, because I think what happened to him was even worse. It's one thing if Steve's best friends don't respect the new Captain America, it's quite another if this regular guy doesn't respect, is not intimidated by Captain America, but that's John Walker's failure to see one essential difference between himself and Steve is that Steve would never ask anybody, do you know who I am? I, I mean, yeah. you go back to that introduction with between Sam Wilson and Steve Rogers at the beginning of Captain America, the Winter Soldier. He introduces himself as Steve Rogers.
1: Yeah. And then mm-hmm. Sam
0: asks, yeah, I kind of put that together. Steve never assumes that anybody knows him, despite the fact that everybody freaking knows him. Uh, John Walker, mm. of course, he just wants he thinks that there are certain things that should automatically come with being Captain America, and there are some things that have the authority, the power that he's had within the government, but when it comes to the respect and also the affection of the people, he totally does not have that, and he's not happy about it. So the next thing that we get is a prison break, because why not? We got to get Zemo out of jail. I actually like that they took the time to do a prison break rather than just saying, oh, he got out during the blip somehow, and we found him. I kind of like that Zemo was still in jail for the Mm -hmm. purposes of this series, but Bucky goes in alone to talk to Zemo, and Zemo does the perfect thing, and Daniel Brule is so good here, when he just starts with the words, when he starts with the Hydra trigger words for Bucky, because of course he does that, why would he do anything else, and he knows, he admits that he knew it wasn't going to work, he just wanted to see how Bucky would react to those old words, but Zemo also still sees some of the Winter Soldier in there, when he looks in Bucky's eyes, which is key for later on in the episode, And I also like that Zemo just has this code. And this was part of what made him so interesting in Captain America Civil War. And he brings it up here when he apologizes to Bucky and says it was never personal, that Bucky was just a means to an end. And then when Bucky talks about super soldiers, Zemo knows where they need to begin. And he knows that Bucky and Sam are going to need his help. But before we even get into the escape, just this initial reintroduction of Zemo I thought was perfect. I I thought calling back to exactly what he did to Bucky, but then also really getting into the moral ethical code of Helmet Zemo or Baron Zemo, as we find out officially in this episode, to show that it's a little more complex than that. I mean, he obviously did a lot of very bad things, but Mm -hmm. he's also one of those MCU antagonists who has had a point, even if he's gone about it the
1: wrong way. And I think that that always makes the villain's More intriguing, right? When you can understand their motives, I I go back to the Marvel Daredevil uh, Netflix series, right? The Kingpin was an awful character, but you get to kind of see this different side of the character, and you get to see the different sides of what motivates them. Loki, even, right? I mean, again, what makes them kind of like sympathetic to an extent, or or whatever, doesn't justify anything, but at least you kind of understand a little bit where they're coming from. And Zemo has always been, at least the MCU version. And I rewatched a bunch of the scenes from Civil War today because it had been a while since I would watched it. And because I, I, again, I'm trying to remember exactly what they explained what Zemo was in that movie because some of this kind of took me by surprise, to be quite honest. And but when I watched it, I, I remember just kind of they emphasize the family aspect, and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's right. That's that's what he's his, his motivation is the family and what he lost and everything. And and you're right, like there's he has a reason why. He has to destroy this and why he's against superheroes or super or not. And this is what's interesting to me is, is he against superheroes in general or just super soldiers? So I'm like, hmm, it's I'm trying to differentiate that right now, because I think the show and the and the Civil War kind of blurs it a little bit, at least for me. I maybe maybe there's some lines you'll you'll bring up. I'll go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that or whatever. But yeah, for me, when we
0: get to the plane ride, we'll we'll be gotcha. in that territory.
1: Okay. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. So, so just as far as Zemo's, I think, you know, what his motivation is and everything, you're right. Like, I think that this version of the character, and I think I've said on our old spoiler shows, you know, at least it's keeping it with the idea that the family is what's driving him for his vengeance. Because mm-hmm. in the comic books, it's, it's that, you know, Captain America ruined his family's legacy. And here... Again, going back to legacy, right? Again, those themes of this whole series, which I love. I love the themes that the series has given us. It goes back to the idea that he's, yeah, his whole family, not only his family was you know, destroyed, but his whole like lifestyle and everything else it sounds like, too, we get. But, yeah, I love the motivation here in that he's – but he has a point. It's like you, you guys came in and you ruined everything everything ruined my whole life and
0: civil war was more specific to having lost his family in the battle of sokovia but what this episode gives us is actually shows that some of buck or not bucky zemo's mission Mm -hmm. with super soldiers actually may have started before Mm -hmm. and so we see that there was there's something else here with zemo that is more than what we saw because yeah we get a lot of info about zemo in this episode and i would just say As far as his background in Civil War, nothing here blatantly contradicts what's in Civil War, but obviously there's a huge expansion on him. But we also didn't get that much in Civil War. All we knew was that he lost his family, and we also knew to provide his military qualifications that he was a leader of Echo Scorpion, this Sokovian military death squad or whatever that they talk about in Civil War, and we also know that he read all of Hydra's secrets from the info dump from that Black Widow unleashed at the end of Captain America, the Winter Soldier. So that's all we had. But there was still plenty of room left to fill in, plenty of blanks to be filled in. And we get that in this episode. But then when we go into the prison break, this is a very heist movie type of thing that they do here where Bucky is basically explaining the heist as we're watching it happen And I'm totally fine with that because I don't need the point of this series is not how to break someone out of prison. So I'm actually happy that they moved through this fairly quickly uh, as far as how it happened. So we just had Zemo or Bucky starts a fight in the prison and then Zemo is able. And of course, he planted something in in Zemo's book. So Zemo just kind of was able to intuitively pick up on the plan and everything that was going on and take advantage of the chaos as Bucky knew that he would be able to do. And then Zemo is out of prison. But while that's happening or even before we see that, like I like the debate that Bucky and Zemo or that Bucky and Sam have where, of course, Sam is not on board with this idea of breaking Zemo out of prison. Little does Sam know Bucky's already done it. Um, But I like where Bucky is talking about kind of like we mentioned a few minutes ago that, yeah, okay, Zemo's crazy, but he still has a code. And Zemo cares about stopping super soldiers, and that's what they are trying to do, Bucky and Sam. And so Sam, though, gives us a key a key reminder here. I mean, it's for Bucky, but it's for our benefit as well that, of course, sets up the final moments of the episode, that Zemo didn't just mess with the Avengers. Zemo killed King T'Chaka of Wakanda, and there's no way Wakanda forgot about that. And we know for sure that, the, I mean... Not that we thought they would have, but we know they definitely didn't by the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. And so then we have the escape sequence, which I thought was fun and and fine for its purpose. We got to get Zemo out of prison. And I think it all works well enough. But I also like the the way Bucky went about this because he didn't tell Sam. And Bucky says it's because he knew Sam wouldn't let this happen. And I can take it at that face value and it's just fine. But I wonder if there's maybe something more to that for Bucky and this goes back to the purpose of the of Bucky, actually, when they were retconning things to make him the Winter Soldier of what Bucky used to do for Steve Rogers cap way back in World War II. And I don't know that you if you thought about this as well, Paul, but mm. Bucky doing this without Sam's knowledge felt very much like Bucky was still seeing Sam as the new cap and cap isn't supposed to break terrorists out of prison. And so it's kind of Bucky doing that dirty work. As we learned in Ed Brubaker's Winter Soldier storyline, that that was kind of what Bucky was doing, that while the world thought he was the kid's sidekick, sure, there was that, but there was also Bucky doing things that Captain America couldn't be seen doing. And so I wonder if there was some of that in that Bucky was thinking of here, and that he's still, Bucky still wants Sam to be Captain America, but... If he's going to be Captain America, there's certain lines that maybe the Winter Soldier or Bucky gets to cross that Sam shouldn't.
1: That's a really good point. I didn't even think about that, to be honest. And I which, by the way, is one of my favorite kind of I wouldn't say it's a retcon. It's more of an elaboration on the character reframing. Yeah, reframe. That's actually better than, than re, you know, whatever, retcon. I think reframing is a great word for it because I love it when writers kind of modernize things and kind of they take the continuity and just kind of they reshape it a little bit, not retcon it, they reshape, reforming. I love that. Um, and that thing with Bucky, with uh, Ed Brubaker's Winter Soldier is so good. It's such a brilliant, it's really inspired. It really is. I, I give him all the credit. That's a great idea. And I love the fact you bring that up. I didn't even consider that. I just consider the fact that, you know, I think he knew Sam wouldn't Mm -hmm. go with it. Right. He just did it. Just did it anyway, which, but at the same time, he's doing the things that he knows Captain America regardless, wouldn't do whether it be Steve or Sam. So I think you're right. I think you're on the money here. I think this we're starting to see, the the whole partnership and, and the fact that he's going to do the things that Sam doesn't want to do and doesn't want to be seen doing and will do it because he, th- you know, they might have to do it regardless. And they don't want to again. They don't want to put Captain America in the bad light and and Winter Soldier's already, you know, a damned name already. Right. So what does he have to lose? So. Right. I, I, I like I like your I like where you're going with this. I think you might be on to something.
0: Yeah. And it still works even throw out my interpretation and just go at face value and it works because yeah Sam would not have been on board with the idea it's a lot easier to get Sam to agree to it after it's already happened not that (laughs) easy though
1: forgiveness and permission yeah
0: exactly but (laughs) I also like that there's a good emotional beat there's a couple of good emotional beats between Bucky and Sam in this episode and one of them is where Bucky acknowledges what Sam did for Steve but also Mm -hmm. for Bucky that when When Sam backed Steve and broke the law with the Sokovia Accords, he was sticking his neck out, and yeah, that's for Steve, but that was also for Bucky, and for Bucky to actually acknowledge that, that Sam did something for him, is very Mm -hmm. important. Uh, It's even more important, because now Bucky is asking Sam to do it again, Um, but Zemo is so good when he shows up here, like the whole, if I may, and then you told to shut up, apologies, I love the line, I really think I'm invaluable, and get sold to shut up. But then when, the, when Sam says that Zemo can't make any moves without their permission, and Zemo just says fair, I thought that was so much fun. And I also like Sam asking Zemo at the end of this scene, before we get the title, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where do we start? It really reminded me of the end of Captain America the Winter Soldier, when Steve and Sam, Steve's mm. looking at the Bucky slash Winter Soldier file. And they're about to go looking for Bucky. And Sam asks, it's not where do we start? He says, when do we start? But then it goes to the credits, just like this one kind of went to an opening title with the Falcon, the Winter Soldier. I just like that. I think that was a a little bit of a callback, not a huge one, but we're searching for super soldiers. And, you know, it's a very similar sort of experience there. But I I did like that as a way to close out that scene.
1: Yeah, that was a I did like that as well. I loved I love seeing Zemo kind of interact a little bit instead of just being kind of the brooding like I'm gonna get revenge thing. Mm-hmm. And which I will say, it took me a little getting used to. I remember being a little put off by it at first. He, he was because uh, well, initially he, when they first meet up, he's normal Zemo like from Civil War, right? And then he kind of shifts a little more into this. I wouldn't say comedic, but it just it's just not the same brooding character. Which I I, that, I don't want that the whole time either. It, it just took a little getting used to and I, I mean, Brule is such a great actor. It's like, it, it is easy, but it did take a, it was a little, not jarring, but it was a little bit of just kind of, Oh yeah, this is, this is not the same, completely the same character. And again, revisiting this, the, um, civil war, the scenes with Zemo specifically this morning before this, I was reminded like, Oh yeah, he didn't really have a lot to do besides brood in that, in that movie. So yeah, of course he's going to have to do a little bit different in this. So right. Yeah. A little bit different, but yeah, I did like what I did like what we we got from it though too. I, I think it was it was perfect, and I think you're on, on to something here too. It's a good little bit of a callback to what at the end is so, of uh, Winter Soldier as well.
0: Yeah, and I think that with Zemo, because I was also a little thrown off for a second by like, oh, he's okay. being very okay. different. But then I'm also, but immediately though, I thought to that point that you were mentioning there that. We only saw one side of Zemo in Civil mm-hmm. War, and he's actually not in Civil War that much um, not <laughs> because so many other things are going on. And so it's easy enough for me to accept that, yeah, we only saw one aspect of his personality, and yeah. he was fully focused on his revenge mission in Civil War that he'd been preparing for all this time. So, yes, that's all we saw was exactly what he was focused on, the task at hand in Captain America Civil War. So now that that's kind of done, I mean, he's still trying to finish his work and everything, but because now he knows there's more super soldiers that are out and about, or maybe he already knew, we'll get to that. But I just feel like this is Zemo feeling, I I guess you can't be dialed up to 11 in your revenge mode all the time, every minute of every day. And so (laughs) I, I think what we're getting more is Zemo letting his guard down a bit more and letting more of his personality out as he's having these conversations. Although maybe it's also for a purpose. I mean, we don't know exactly what Zemo wants here. And so maybe he is intentionally being more charismatic, more friendly uh, to these guys because he wants to earn, he's trying very hard to earn their trust. And then maybe he will ultimately betray them by the end of this. We shall see. But we also find out that Uh, In this episode, that yes, he is indeed Baron Zemo. That was the part that was missing from his name or his title in Captain America: Civil War, because he's got all these cars, and he was. In this, we also find out that he was doing things that sounded like this was happening before Sokovia. When he says that he he spent years hunting Hydra recruits that that were trying to recreate the Super Soldier Serum, and then of course he ended the Winter Soldier program once before. That was when he executed. Those other win- the other Winter Soldiers in Siberia, in Captain America Civil War. He has no intention to leave his work unfinished. And then we see some cool comic booky stuff like golden guns and, more importantly, a purple mask uh, that's just left on the backseat of the car. But it makes me feel like this mask... I mean, I would love to know more about it and have Zemo talk more about it eventually. Mm-hmm. I mean, he hid it. Mm-hmm. He still hasn't let... And actually, you go back to the end of the episode... He never let Sam or Bucky see it. Yeah. He immediately threw it in the bag. He didn't put it on until the explosion in the container in the shipping yard with the containers. He took it off before he got in the car that he used to pick them up at the end. So there's something with this mask that means something to Zemo. It's probably, I'm guessing, been in the family for a while. He's probably not. We're talking legacy. Probably Mm -hmm. not the first person to wear it. Um, But anyway, I, I like it was good to at least see the mask there. And then Zemo gives us a a little bit of our plot for the episode. Uh, The first stop is a mid-level fence named Selby. And we find out, hey, Zemo's got a private plane and all this time he was rich. Well, he's a baron, as he explains to Sam. My family was royalty until your friends destroyed my country. And he's even got a butler, Oznik, played by Nicholas Pryor, uh, who serves not so uh, chilled champagne because the fridge is broken and Zemo's willing to serve bad smelling food uh, to Sam and Bucky (laughs) on the plane. But uh, yeah, this, this whole very quick expansion of Zemo as a character. There's a part of me that says this should be a bit more developed here. They should spend a bit more time on stuff like this. But yes, I also feel that I mean, this isn't my this actually isn't one of my biggest hiccups in this episode, but it is very quick. Here's all this other stuff about Zemo that you didn't know, and it comes across more as an info dump than character development. So there's a a bit of that that I didn't totally love, but at the same time, I liked getting Zemo, even if they took a shortcut, I liked getting Zemo to a place that's a lot closer to what we associate with the character from the comic books. And it's not just to make it more like the comic books. I think it makes this character more interesting in the MCU that if we're going to bring characters back, we should learn more about them and we should learn that they're an even bigger deal than we thought that they were. And that certainly holds true of Zemo with all this information that we get uh, very quickly as we're going through cars and hopping on a plane.
1: Yeah, this was a little bit a surprise because I didn't I didn't think they were going to go like the Baron name. Like I thought they're just going to call him Zemo. Yeah. And I mean, so- Sam
0: even calls him Baron Zemo later on in the episode. So rad.
1: Uh then, I, so then he's walking with his uh with his coat on. I'm like, oh, he's already got a sweet coat, which is a sweet. Yeah, coat that outfit. coat's awesome. Oh, it's so good. uh and he's walking and he's like, I'm a baron, Sam. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, said out loud. I went, excuse me? Because why like, not? Yeah, I was like, What? Oh, okay. Cause I cause when I saw him in Civil War, this is why I went back and watched those episodes or those episodes, those scenes specifically, because I'm like wait a minute. I always got the impression this dude was just some normal like soldier guy. And he was like, oh, my family's dead. I'm going to kill you guys, which is fine. I was fine with that. Well, Sokovia is such a small
0: country that I can buy the idea of a guy pulling double duty of being royalty. And also, if this was a mission, if he wanted to eliminate super soldiers, then being part of the military probably helped with that.
1: See, and this is where I think that I, I, I agree that I wish they had more elaboration, but I think it's because it's, like you said, the legacy aspect, his family, what his family... That was very
0: had. white vision of
1: you right there. I request elaboration. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like, but, but think about this. I think it's very much... Um, I think it was purposeful the way that... Purposeful, purposeful in a sense to where they didn't want to reveal too much about Baron Zemo right here specifically because i think it's going to be more because i think it's going to be more pivotal for him and what he will be go, become and what his motivations are i think in the series and in the mc going forward i think it, it's it, with his past like with specifically with obviously his family and i love the setup of it and so that's where even though i wish like you said i wish they would expand it on it more and it seems a little bit more like an info dump I, I can forgive it enough, at least this part, which I know we both have issues with this stuff later on, maybe. Mm-hmm. but this one specifically isn't as bad because I felt like they did it with the pre- with the purpose of him going and said, These are my cars. And he grabs the he grabs right. the purple mask and he, and he didn't tell him, I love that, the golden gun. And I started thinking, okay, okay, so I, it started making me think like, okay, there's more to this. And then when he says I'm a baron, I'm like, okay. There's there's more to this guy than, than we than we knew from Civil War right. and what he's telling them. And with the mask and everything, I was like, okay, this is I'm I'm in. Like, I'm in with this Baron Zemo. I love this. So there's lot, there's lots of cool stuff you can do with this character. I'm I'm actually really excited, even more, to be honest, about Baron Zemo, even though I felt like I wanted more Zemo in this episode than we, he's in the majority of it, but I wanted more. It was just weird. I, I thought he was great, and so with this info dump, there is a lot of different ways you're gonna, you can uh, do with this character. And I'm I'm starting to think now, Sean, and just, I'm just gonna throw this out there really quick, is, cause again, I, I was a little confused cause I started thinking, yeah, wait, he was hunting Hydra before? I was like, wait a minute, and that's why I, I want to revisit. I'm like, wait, no, no, he was hunting the Winter Soldier program because of all that right. stuff. So I started thinking, okay, what does that mean? And so I'm starting to think, one, is the Zemo family do they have ties to other, you know, to, to Hydra already, and maybe they're they're like banished from Hydra, and so they hate Hydra, maybe. Right. Or are they part of Red Skull, or you know, something something along those lines? Where exactly? I'm also wondering.
0: Well, they don't do like we, the Red Skull, and Zemo right. brings up Red Skull for pretty much no reason.
1: Yeah, and so I'm yeah, so I'm thinking maybe they're banished from from the Hydra for whatever reason, like Baron Strucker and all them, the Strucker family, maybe they, you know, some ties with them. So I'm also thinking, is it possible they're hunting super soldiers because do they want to be, they want to be super soldiers? Do we not know? Does, is he in fact not a super soldier himself perhaps? Well, they weren't
0: actually hunting, the way he describes it, wasn't even hunting super soldiers. It was hunting people who Hydra was recruiting to recreate the serum, basically trying to cut it off at the knees so that there couldn't be any more super soldier. Right. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, did he want to kill them or did he want to keep them for himself? But I guess that really comes down to the question of whether or not Zemo is a hypocrite. Is he really against super soldiers or is he just against super soldiers that he doesn't control? Uh, Exactly. When he's not Mm -hmm. one. And we get Zemo's perspective, at least as he shares it, uh, during this plane ride but first we get Bucky's notebook turns out with his list of names as he's trying to make amends is Steve's notebook weird. list of things that he missed, which I'm fine with. I'm good with that.
1: That, that, that was fine. I just um, didn't like the fact that it it winds up in Baron's book. I was like, really? That was a little. Well, I don't, because that's the part
0: that wasn't super clear to me. Like, it wasn't in the book when Zemo, yeah. I mean, we didn't see it inside the book when Zemo was in prison. So did he, like, lift it off of Bucky later and, like, pickpocket it? Or anyway, whatever. <laughs>
1: exactly. Uh, that was a little messy. That yeah, was a, little a, a
0: little bit. But whatever. I, I like the piece of information. I also like the, the discussion about Trouble Man. And I love that Zemo gets it and even goes as far as to say it captures the African-American experience. And Sam says he's out of line, but he's right. And And then they, of course, can't believe Bucky doesn't like Marvin Gaye. Bucky says he likes Marvin Gaye, as he should. And so uh, Zemo then gets into the meat of his perspective when it comes to super soldiers. And he talks about the problems with America's super soldiers. So maybe it's specific, although he does expand on that. So he says... And he talks about this in respect of Steve Rogers, but then he makes a shift. He says they become symbols, icons, and then we start to forget about their flaws. From there, cities fly, innocent people die, movements are formed, wars are fought. You remember that, right? Zemo says to Bucky, as a young soldier sent to Germany to stop a mad icon, do we want to live in a world full of people like the Red Skull? It's a bit of a leap to compare Steve Rogers to the Red Skull. I think any of us who've been fans of Steve Rogers would agree with that. Uh, Whether you're a fan of Steve Rogers or not, Steve certainly wasn't the Red Skull, but that's Zemo's point. I think Zemo's point, though, in in his eyes, unless he's being a hypocrite about this, in his eyes, they're all the same. Whether the and, and maybe the only thing you're depending on is luck at that point. If you anoint someone, if you put someone on a pedestal and you forget about their flaws, then it becomes that much easier for them to manipulate situations whether they mean to or not and those things can lead to destructive outcomes because even the well-meaning avengers led by captain america we see what happens in sokovia and other places it doesn't make it their fault but there are there are consequences there is some form of of causality as vision discusses in captain america civil war I still think intent matters, and I still think, you know, what the Avengers are doing. I see the difference between Captain America, Steve Rogers, Captain America, and the Red Skull, but Zemo thinks that they're all—the the entire concept is dangerous. The entire concept is vulnerable to corruption, hypocrisy, and ultimately disaster. So that, as he claims anyway, is her, is his perspective on this. But the reason I say kind of brings up Red Skull for no reason is— Maybe it's not no reason because he sees it as it's all the same to him. But it still feels like it still feels like a leap and it still feels like he knows it's a leap or at least it would be a leap in the eyes of Sam and Bucky, the two people he's talking to on this plane ride. Mm -hmm. So why does he go there? And I feel like there's a part of him that's compelled to go there and bring up the Red Skull because there probably is some historical beef between the Zemo family and Johann Schmidt or the entire Schmidt family. I don't know. But it seems like there's something there uh, that goes even farther back. And I don't know if that means we get that in uh, in the Falcon, the Winter Soldier in this Disney Plus series, or if we get that later on down the line. But it it could just be that same basic principle of they're all the same in the eyes of Baron Zemo. Yeah. But I also wonder if there really is a more specific reason um, and a history there as to why he brought up Red Skull specifically.
1: So I I think you're, yeah, I think we both picked up on that and I think there's going to be something, there's going to be a reckoning, uh, so some kind with that. And I also think this is slowly building up the idea of what will motivate Baron Zemo to eventually, I think join or be forced to join the Thunderbolts, which will be, um, my prediction is right now, Thunderbolt Ross obviously wants people he can control. And I think with, With Baron Zemo, if he's not already out, you know, at some point, I think he'll join the Thunderbolts or he'll be forced to join the Thunderbolts. I'm not sure what he'll if it's going to be right after the series or whatever. But I think you're you're going to get you're getting the motivation of what will we will accept as an audience of why he'll be on that team because he will be he will want to rid those people of of these these superpowered beings. And that's what Thunderbolt Ross will, you know, whole point of his team will be is we're going to be a team. That's going to be set out to, to like anything that's out of the normal, like superheroes or alien, whatever, we're going to be out there to stop it. And that's going to be his like reason for doing it in the first place. It's like, well, I I'm stuck in jail or I, I fight what I, what I, I despise, which is the superhero beings essentially. So, I think you're you're getting a little bit of a, a motivation for him, just in general for the future of, of why he'll eventually join that team. So, that's where I'm going to go with that right now. I, but I also agree with you too, Sean. I think you're setting up an idea that there is a beef between him and Hydra and the Schmidt and all every, Red Skull, all that stuff.
0: Right. I, I think there's some there's some family history there. As I said before, I don't think that Helmet Zemo is the first person to wear that purple mask. I think that there is. A legacy there in, in a show that mm-hmm. has legacies all over the place and there's something else that Zemo mentions that at the end of his speech about how these icons and these people who are viewed as flawless and put on pedestals how they're all the same in the eyes of Zemo uh, he's saying that's why we're going to Madripoor and it had been rumored slash confirmed slash talked about for a long time that we were going to go to Madripoor in this series and it kind of looked like that in the trailers. So here we are, what is Madripoor, Sam wants to know, and we get the MCU description of it, which is pretty much the same as the Marvel Comics description of it, an island nation in uh, the Indonesian archipelago, pirate sanctuary that dates back to the 1800s, and Zemo talks about how it's still lawless, but they need to go undercover, and that means, James, you will have to become someone you claim is gone, the Winter Soldier, uh, forcing Bucky to go back into a space that we know in this series, and even prior to this series. Bucky's been desperate to leave. He's got to go back into that headspace when they get to Madripoor. But in the comics, Madripoor is fairly similar to what they describe here, Paul. I mean, it is a lawless island nation, and it becomes kind of a, a hiding spot, a hangout for a lot of people who are otherwise wanted in Marvel Comics. It is most commonly associated with mutants in Marvel Comics, But Mm -hmm. Hydra also ruled it for a time. Madam Hydra ruled uh, Madripoor for a time. And I don't know if Madripoor, I really don't know for sure if Madripoor was something that was a shared thing, because we know that there are shared things between Marvel or slash Disney and Fox, Mm -hmm. or if this was something that because it's more commonly associated with mutants, that maybe it only, that it was exclusive to Fox until, of course, Disney bought Fox, in which case, if that part is true and if it was always exclusive and not a shared thing, then this would be the biggest and, I guess, first thing that's a product of the Fox license that's made it all the way into the MCU. I mean, it's just a location, not characters, but at the very least, Madripoor looks cool as hell in this episode.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great... You know, I, it's been a while since I've read anything with Madripoor and I totally like, forgot about it until like, the last couple days. But yeah, I, I don't know with, if that's going to be a significant mutant thing. Like you said, Hydra, I know, it sounds like, I, I think I remember mostly from Madame Hydra, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, or Viper, whatever her name is. Um, I think that that's where I remember remembering it more from, but, but yeah, like I think that this is a good setup for where you can have a hideout for future, you know, Marvel villain characters and, and, and whatever I, it can be used for mutant stuff too, but I, it's. I would never like list this as like it's. If it, if they were going like Genosha, I'd be like, okay, yeah, we're right. This is like a big. This is a big deal. But Madripoor is. It, it, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, whatever. It, it's it's almost like a Scarlet Witch kind of situation. It's like, yeah, I could go either way with it, kind of a thing. So, um, but yeah, this is a really cool location, and I think that again opens the door to introduce all kinds of different uh, Marvel characters, and that's that's the one thing I think the MCU has. And again, that's not like a problem because they've done such a great job with their stories and, and and telling direct, like concise stories and not trying to be too messy is it's hard to kind of reintroduce like a funnel of villains. You know what I'm saying? Like a place where right. you, know, you can kind of you can't you can always kind of recreate and like, kind of have a starting point. Like, where do they come from? Madripoor or, or you know, it is not really they kind of took away the Hydra thing right away. It, it, there wasn't a lot of places you can just kind of like, you know, spring a kind of random couple of random people out of nowhere and have an excuse to do that without being a little bit messy. Well, with Madripoor, you have that ability now where you can kind of say, you know, Batroc the Leaper is, you know, he, he, he works out of Madripoor or something like that. Right. You, can, you can kind of go deeper with that. I think that's really cool of introducing this idea, this kind of criminal Island you can kind of know now that there's a lot of different characters that you can pick and choose or kind of have their basis be that area and then, or come out of that and kind of build from there. So this is a really, I think, in my opinion, I think on a lot of different levels, that's where I think from this, the MCU standpoint, this gives them a a way to introduce a lot of different characters now in the future and in the show.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I think it also gives them a place to escape to. It gives them a place to not have to get caught or killed at the end of every adventure. And I mean, there's going to be other places. It's boring if everybody just always goes to Madripoor. Uh, So you have to, you you can't overplay that card, but at the same time, like, yes, you can, you can have this. And look, what I care most about is Madripoor was cool in the episode. Like it's just because you name a place that is from Marvel comics, doesn't make it cool. Like you actually have to do interesting things with it. And I thought that they did. And I thought they made it look really great in this episode. But I also Bird love, stage. yeah, and I, I love Zemo's knowledge of it because you mentioned with Thunderbolts. This is where Zemo, I think, is establishing his va- his value. I mean, he says that he believed he could be invaluable and he was. And I think that's his value to the Thunderbolts in a lot of ways is he's obviously been doing a lot of this under the table dealing and, and working with shady characters and and shady people and organizations criminal organizations and he's got friends in low town not so much high town and that makes sense for Zemo as somebody where for the Thunderbolts if they're going to go on certain missions that have to be off the grid and nobody gets to know about then Zemo is perfect for that role because he's got friends in low places and he's got the connections in order to help them and he has the resources in order to help them go on missions so there's definitely a lot of stuff here that could ultimately prove to be the foundation for Zemo making that leap onto the Thunderbolts in the MCU. But before we really get a chance to explore Madripoor, we do go to a GRC resettlement uh, resettlement camp in Riga, Latvia. We see the Flag Smashers. Carly, of course, is there, and she's saying a tearful goodbye to a character we learn is Danya Madani, or referred to by Carly as Mama Danya affectionately. I don't think this is actually her mom, though. I think this was a teacher, because Carly, I mean, they don't have the same name, although that doesn't necessarily prove anything. But you have Carly Morganthau or Morganthau. It gets pronounced both ways uh, in this episode. Although the one person who's talking to her, uh, Dovich, says Morganthau. So I'm going to go with Morganthau. Anyway, um, I don't know that they were related as family. If it, or it was more of a you know a chosen family sort of situation, but she mentioned how she wanted later in the episode. Carly mentions how she wanted to be a teacher like Mama Danya, and. I have to go ahead and draw a lot of these conclusions and connect these dots for myself. And I mean, they're fairly easy to do, but I appreciate them wanting to give us uh, a sentimental scene between Carly and this Danya Madani figure. But this is another one of those things where it's like, you're showing me a sad thing, but you're not actually giving me enough to really invest in it. So, I mean, I'm a human being. I have empathy, so I can empathize with Carly losing someone who means something to her. But It's also better if we have a a little bit more of an opportunity to invest in a relationship for a character. And it just felt like this was something that was thrown in very, very quickly just to set up the turn that we see for Carly, the line that she crosses toward the end of this episode. So it wasn't necessarily bad, but it's just another one of those spots in this episode where it felt like a bit of a shortcut.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, too. The the flag smasher stuff in this episode wasn't the strongest and it just, this wasn't just the attempts are there. I think, you know, to give some kind of, you know, kind of conviction and sympathy, it just, it just, it just kind of fell flat in this episode. It just wasn't as a uh, fleshed out and which is a kind of a, a problem. This episode in general is that right. it has, there's so many great things we want to know. The episode was just wasn't long enough. Basically, um, you know, they had, they obviously wanted to kind of, you know, cut it short and you, you, I felt they need, they could have and should have in some cases elaborated a lot more, not just on Zemo, but in a lot of things we'll get into, but this is definitely one of them. And, and again, I, I think that the, I love the, the actress and I'm again I'm terrible with names. So I always forget her name. Um, I just call her emphasis. That's, that's what yeah. I remember from, from solo. Uh, but the head flax smasher, she's great. Like she, there's a charisma to her that, it jumps, she just right. jumps off the screen. It's crazy. Like I was telling my friends that we were watching it yesterday, and I said, "Man, this girl, she just like you know, she just commands a screen. Like she's su- she's such a small stature, like lady, but she is a- she commands it. Like there's something about her. Like in Solo, she does the same thing. There, she just commands the screen. That she has this. Right, she's yeah, you know, it's crazy. I can't explain it, but she's really good and she's a solid actress. So I mean, like, it, it it's it's really nuts to see." how how good she is in just, you know, little time we've seen her on the screen in general. And I think that's what makes, I think, the scene not as bad and not right. as kind of like whatever. It's because she's so charismatic and so, so you're drawn to the screen with her that I don't mind it as much. But yes, this is definitely some of the weaker stuff of the series and episode.
0: Right. I mean, it's just more of not, it's not so much weak in that it's certainly not a reference to the performance because I agree no, with no, you no. that exactly. Aaron Kellyman is awesome and she's bringing... Such a great presence to this character that is really doing a lot of the heavy lifting because I think because she's not the main character and because there are antagonists and supporting characters all over the place that she doesn't get all the screen time and all of the development that maybe a character in, in her position ordinarily would, but she's making the most out of every moment that she gets, and, and so I, I really do I, I really like what she's doing and what she's bringing in her performance and and even. Even though we don't have, as I said, an investment in the relationship at all that I would kind of like to have and a little bit more backstory for it, you know, just her apologizing to Mama Danya, or Mama Danya and saying, um, and, and just and crying as she's apologizing. And I think that's essentially saying that she's sorry that she couldn't save her, that this is part of what she's been trying to do. She's been delivering medicine and vaccines, and she's been, this is specifically one of the people she really wanted to get medicine to. Danya Madani, who is dying of tuberculosis, and Carly just gets there too late, and she is unable to save her, and so that does, that certainly works within the episode, and, and, and it, it is moving from that perspective. I just wanted even more to be developed there. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at with a few scenes in this episode, so much so that I'm like, this could have been two episodes? I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this really yeah. could have been split into a couple episodes. I'm, I'm not really sure, but when we finally get to Madripoor and we're not just flying there, now we're walking in and Sam is under the, uh, he's assumed the identity of Conrad Mack or Smiling Tiger, is a character from the comic books, was a Thunderbolt at one point in time, uh, but I don't think we're going to see that character for real in the MCU because Sam just brushes it off as a bad nickname. Zemo explains Hightown and Lowtown. I also really like the music as they're walking through Lowtown and they're going, they're making their way to the bar which according to the credits, it seems to be called the Brass Monkey. Uh, we did see, it looks like some brass uh, skulls that were in the bar. Uh, but they go to the bar and they, the pe- we also see as they're walking in, spray painted on a wall or painted on a wall. We see the uh, power broker is watching, is a, mes- a message that is outside. And Zemo says, he does the whole ready to comply bit, another callback. But it's not just a callback for the sake of saying, remember this line from Civil War? He says, ready to comply, Winter Soldier. He wants everybody in the bar to hear that, to know that he has control of the Winter Soldier. And then we meet a bartender, played by Forrest Connolly, who serves Smiling Tiger his favorite drink, which has some snake parts in it. And Sam is really good in this, just, I love these, and then is grossed out and has to do the fear factor thing and just take it down. And so a guy comes up, approached from behind, and says that he got word from on high that Zemo and his pals aren't welcome. Zemo says he has no business with the power broker. And Zemo explains, talks about the power broker, doesn't know the power broker, refers to the power broker as a he, but Zemo says doesn't actually know the power broker, only knows the power broker by reputation and just prays that they stay under the power broker's radar because in Madripoor, the power broker is judge, jury, and executioner and then when the the whole no business with the power broker answer is not accepted and somebody else approaches meaning them harm bucky goes into full winter soldier mode and it's so great that henry jackman is doing the score for this series like he did for the winter soldier as well as civil war because we got zemo's music in the beginning of this episode and now when bucky goes in full winter soldier mode we get that music as well mm-hmm. yeah and It's just a great action beat with Bucky or the Winter Soldier laying waste to these guys. And Zemo makes that comment, uh, didn't take much for him to fall back into form. And then the bartender confirms their meeting and they get to meet Selby uh, because that's who they were looking for in the bar. But I also like I mentioned that the emotional moments, and they're fairly small, but I think they are meaningful between Bucky and Sam. I mentioned the one earlier where Bucky acknowledges what Sam did for him in Civil War I like that Sam took the time to ask Bucky, you good. And I don't think Mm. he's asking him that just because like some casual thing. Like, I think this is Sam acknowledging how much of a problem this is for Bucky, that Bucky doesn't like this, that for Bucky, this is emotional torture. Yeah, he's really good at beating people up. He doesn't want to keep beating people up. He doesn't want to keep fighting. He doesn't want to have this. There's always a fight sort of thing. But this is just what he has to do right now. This is what's necessary in order to stop these super soldiers from running around or prevent something even worse from happening. So Bucky having to go into this space, Sam knows he doesn't want to be there and he knows how troubling this is for Bucky. So for Sam to even take a moment to check in, I thought was really great. So for two guys who claim over and over again to really not like each other, they care about each other quite a bit.
1: Yeah, this was a good moment. I, Sebastian Stan just pl- is playing that really Conflicted is conflicted's not the right word, but just very he just he's just very just wants to make up for what he's doing, what he's done, but he doesn't know how exactly to do it. And he's trying everything he can. And I just I love the fact that when Sam when he goes kind of ham a little bit. And I think that that comment by Baron Zemo was interesting in a sense to where you know, it's not like, it, obviously he returned to form, whatever, you know, he, he lost it, but I think it's, that's what all he knows. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when he does it, it's not just that he, he actually enjoys doing it to an extent. I think that's what, I think that's what makes him conflicted a little bit. It's like, because that's what he, he knows, what he's used to. And it's, you know, it's what he was basically, you know, made to do. And I think that that's where, at least from the Winter Soldier standpoint, not the actual Bucky character, right? Or personality, but I think because that's a part of him, he can't help but cut loose, and and it, and it almost makes it like feel good. You know, I, I don't know. I, I that's the impression that I got from from Sam, and, or from that whole uh, scene. And when Sam said that, I thought that was like you said, Sean, it was a really good thing because, or interest, or nice thing to kind of you know, touch on because Sam understand. I think Sam understands that it comes natural to him, but I also think. It, I do not say it feels good, but I think it makes him like it. Almost like re- releases something, you know. It's like it's kind of like he needs to get out of a system, you know. And I think it's his way of doing that, and I think that he wanted, you know, it was just triple checking is like almost too good, you know. So yeah, that's what I I thought was like you said, it was a good kind of callback to the fact that these, you know, he really does care about him.
0: Yeah, it's nice that as as much fun as it is to have two guys be really funny when they're being really snarky toward each other. It's better Mm -hmm. when they, you know, underneath all of that is a genuine care about each other. And I think we got little moments and that's all it should be as much as I talk about in this episode of some things should be expanded on and whatever. These aren't the kind of guys who are going to sit down and have the full on heart to heart in the middle of this stuff. So when they give each other nothing but snark and then just for a moment, they actually have they express genuine concern for one another or genuine appreciation for one another because it's only that moment, I think it means that much more in those instances anyway. And then we get our meeting with Selby, who is played by Imelda Corcoran, who also was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., not as Selby. She was a character named Dr. Goodman in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so not uh, not the same character, not the same timeline. Um, Zemo offers to trade the Winter Soldier for information About uh, For information about the Super Soldier program, Selby says that the latest serum that's going around was created by Dr. Wilfred Nagel, who is a character from Marvel Comics. Sarah calls uh, Sam, and then Sarah, Sam's sister, calls him on the phone, and Selby says to answer it on speaker, and Sam tries to play it off as he's just being the smiling tiger, working out deals with banks and boats, and he's going to have people killed and whatever else. Sarah doesn't care about any of that, but then she actually calls him Sam, so then Selby realizes what's going on, says to kill them all, but a sniper takes her out, and then they all have to make their escape, and then we get a very John Wick sort of moment which makes sense because Derek Kolstad, the writer of this episode, was the original writer on John Wick, and kind of the creator of John Wick. So as they leave the, as they're leaving the bars, they're running away. They, of course, we get that joke about how Sam can't run in heels. Um, but also, we get the text going out with the bounty on everybody. And that felt very John Wick. It felt very John Wick excommunicado and all the different bounties that go out uh, that we see for the hitmen and everything else in the John Wick films. So I kind of like that homage uh, for Derek Kolstad, even if it's an homage to another thing he created. But I thought that was really cool, and I thought that was really fun. But then they are continuing to be chased by people with guns, but a sniper saves them again. They have a guardian angel, as Zemo uh, puts it, and it turns out that guardian angel is Sharon Carter. And she goes right after Zemo, pointing a gun at him, saying, you cost me everything. And then Bucky and Sam step in because they need Zemo right now. And then she has a great line. Sharon, played by, of course, Emily Van Camp, has one of the best lines of the episode. I also took the wings for your ass so that I could save his ass from his ass. Uh, I really like that (laughs) summation of what she did in Captain America Civil War. And she also spoke as if, because she mentioned you guys are here and now Selby's dead. I mean, she mentions mentions that as if she's not the one who killed Selby, but like she totally has to be. Who else would that have been? She was the guardian angel sniper. Um, And Sharon, we find out, I mean, as we already knew though, she's been on the run ever since Captain America Civil War, ever since she took the shield and wings for Sam and Steve in that film. She can't speak to her family. Her dad doesn't know where she is, but she's got a place in Hightown uh, where they can lay low, if you'll pardon the pun, for a little while. So that's our introduction to Sharon Carter is we get, I mean, we'll get more information on Sharon Carter in a moment, but I really like that action sequence with the escape from the bar and, and all of that. And then just this introduction with Sharon Carter that does, I think, a really fun, creative way of kind of reminding everybody. I mean, we had a little bit of a clue last week where Sam talks about how she was branded an enemy of the state. Um, I thought this was a really good way of catching the audience up on Sharon Carter. um, That wasn't uh, I think they found as the dialogue, the way they went about it, I thought was really enjoyable in this sequence.
1: Yeah, I, I thought this was this was a fine reintroduction to the character. I kind of I always forget that she's in this series until like the the credit scenes basically, and I'm like, oh yeah, she's gonna be in this eventually. And then she showed up, and went, oh yeah, I forgot she's she's in this. So it was a little weird that she showed up in Madripoor. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh okay, that's weird. Uh, it just it, yeah, it was just kind of a, a random random thing so i don't know it was i'm not the biggest i mean emily van camp is fine she's 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 you know not terrible or anything but i was just i'm not i was like okay sharon sharon's back it's cool i don't know i i yeah just yeah this is weird it's just kind of a weird introduction with her for some reason for me but it was you know she did have i love that line about you know i had to save his ass from your ass but that i thought that was funny
0: I didn't mind the the introduction wasn't the problem for me. I thought that part worked. I I think where things started getting a little shaky for me was after that. When we get to Sharon's place, we find out that she's been selling art because most of what's out there is counterfeit. She's got the real stuff and she's been selling it. So she's rich now. That's why she can live in Hightown in Madripoor. Got a feeling that she's not just been selling art anyway. She's going to be hosting clients in an hour, which sets up a party that we're going to see in a few moments and dancing Zemo and all that stuff. But before we even get to that party, we have we get Sharon's perspective. And this is where it's such an about face that I wish there was a bit more of this conversation. And I wish there was a bit more setup to Sharon getting to this point because she just kind of launches right into it. You know, the whole hero thing is a joke, right? The way you gave up that shield deep down, you must know it's all hypocrisy. And then Zemo adds to that after she was mentioning that to Sam he knows not so deep down i'm okay with sharon being jaded i'm okay with sharon feeling betrayed that she's been an enemy of the state and all of those things like i'm okay with her feeling that way and i understand why she would harbor resentment towards the entire idea of all of these things like i get that because of what happened to her after captain america civil war i just wish there was more to it than than just her jumping immediately to that conclusion But it's the kind of thing where I I wish there was even more that had been added to it, that this could have been a much longer conversation, because it feels like we're getting this heavy emotional beat from Sharon, because this is important for her to show this shift in perspective. I think it deserves a, a longer conversation and a longer progression of her thought process and her having an opportunity to talk through that in the scene, whereas the way that it's presented. It's like, let's hit the high points that Sharon has a completely different perspective now than we're used to seeing her have. But let's move through that very quickly because we got to get to our party. We got to get to our action sequence and everything after our conversation with Dr. Nagel later in the episode. And I just felt like it was the kind of scene that you just, that moment where she's talking about all of that isn't the kind of moment that I would move through as quickly as they did here. So it's not that what's there is bad. I just Mm -hmm. wish this was a conversation that they had really expanded on.
1: Yeah, it was because we haven't seen Sharon Carter that much since Civil War. I'm trying to think where else have we seen her besides that? The only
0: time we saw her was when she is to the very right of the screen in Endgame when they have images of people who were snapped or blipped. She was one of them. Okay, but I have my doubts as to whether or not she was actually one of them.
1: Yeah, so exactly. I'm. I just don't really know. I was like, okay, why is she so bitter? Okay, okay, lost cap. I get it. You know, and all that. It just. It. It seemed kind of just out of nowhere. Again, again, kind of, just kind of like what. she's like totally like, she's, okay. wait, wait, like, like well, she, we, she's an enemy of the state okay wait what why again like why well we know why
0: she's an enemy of the state because she broke she also broke the law with the sokovia Accords. yeah she and, gave and she didn't everyone. get yeah. what other people got like she didn't get because she wasn't an avenger she didn't get the forgiveness that other heroes got she didn't get like the house arrest of clint barton or scott lang she didn't just get to keep going like or being a secret avenger like Sam was, but then coming back and, and basically being okay. pardoned for that. Yeah. Bucky's done all of these horrible things, committed how many murders and just assassinations of high-level people, although it doesn't matter what their status was. Anybody, any sure. innocent person he killed matters equally, but he kills all of these people and he gets a pardon. But here she is in in this situation where all she did was help a couple of uh, help a couple of guys, a couple of superheroes. Who were trying to go stop an army, a small army of super soldiers. That's all she did, and she's an enemy of the state. And there was no path to forgiveness for her. So it's, that, she has every yeah. right to be mad. And I, I think they set up why she feels, why she feels slighted. I think they set up why she feels the whole system is hypocritical. I think it's there, but it because her perspective on this is so different than you know being the one to stand up for Cap in Captain America the Winter Soldier, being the one to give the, you know, you move speech from Captain America Civil War at, at Peggy's funeral, and then being the person who would put her put herself on the line, put her career, put her freedom on the line in order to help Sam and Steve in Captain America Civil War, if you're going to have, if we if that's all that we've seen from her, and that really is all that we've seen from her, because she hasn't had that many scenes total in the MCU up until this point, and you want to have a huge about face in this scene, totally okay to do that because we understand the motive behind it, but it is jarring regardless of our understanding of the motive behind it. So you also want to have a little bit more time to live in it and connect with this character and go through that process. And maybe it happens later on in the series and that's okay, but I also feel like even if we get more information later on in the series, I'll still feel like this scene deserved a bit more. It deserved a chance to take a breath to go through this this shift in perspective for Sharon and then move back to our, our plotting for this scene because so much of it just feels like in this episode we're just going from place to place to place we go here we go here we go here we go here because we need this 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 and this and these other moments with that are the bigger character moments I feel like they, they got a little bit shorted in this episode and this is probably the biggest one
1: yeah and I think that that's fair I I, I know she helped them get out and I I looking back on it, cause I just was confused. Was there something else that they're alluding to that she did? And that's what I didn't know. So it, the fact you're telling me this now, it's like, okay, it actually makes, you know, her, you know, her fallout in, in her situation, even more like of a bummer, be, you know, from the story standpoint, because she was lost in the shuffle kind of a thing. Right. So that, that is, that is interesting. It just, at the time when I'm, you know, again, I hadn't rewatched civil war in forever. And when she was saying that, I'm like, I got that. But I remember thinking, like, wait, she was—they like didn't bring her back. Just a little, this is a little weird to me. I think there's got to be more to it. Like, but like you kind of said, Sean, this whole scene just was felt like just kind of an information dump, and it just Mm -hmm. wasn't done the way it needed to do to kind of re—I think get even someone like me kind of reacquainted with what's going on, to be honest. So it was—it wasn't the best crafted part of the show, that's for sure.
0: No, I don't think so. I think that's a scene that certainly had room for improvement. Again, it's not bad, but I just wish that there had been even more added to the more emotional side of things for Sharon Carter and the philosophical side of things for Sharon Carter. But it does point to this question, and that's where we see some overlap between Sharon Carter and Zemo. I mean, she even calls the, she refers to the Stars and Stripes. She said the Stars and Stripes is all bullshit when she's talking to Bucky and the fact that he bought into it with Captain America. And of course, his pal, Steve, so Sharon is uh, of course they're looking for uh, they're looking for Dr. Nagel, and she knows that Dr. Nagel works for the power broker. be interesting to find out exactly how she uh, how she knows that. Sam offers to get Sharon's name cleared if she helps. And Sharon seems to care about that, although she doesn't trust Sam's ability to do it. I don't know if Sharon really cares about it, but we will get to that as we go on through the episode. So then the next thing we get is the party because we need Sharon's going to get information from her clients because they're all really well connected, which gives us a reason to hang around for the party. But really, the only benefit to the party is dancing Zemo. Now, it's fair to say that that's a pretty good benefit that we get dancing Zemo in this scene. And that's a lot of fun. And I laughed pretty hard at it as I was supposed to. But it also felt like a little clunky part of the episode. Like, why do I need to see this party? Like, it's just, I don't see Sharon getting the information at the party, so I could go straight to the shipping yard. I could have, I could have had Dancing Zemo, actually, back at the first bar. Like, I didn't yeah, need... Yeah, that's a good
1: point. Yeah. Uh,
0: that, that sequence, I mean, it's not long. I mean, it's probably not even, I don't even know if it's a minute long that they're there, but... I would have rather spent that time being getting more of that conversation with with Sharon because I do think it points to something pretty big, you know, thematically. That conversation I think it, it pointed to something. That whole idea of challenging the notion of heroes and symbols, and that's been a big part of this series so far. With what Sam is learning about discovering the existence of Isaiah Bradley and why Sam didn't feel like taking the shield in the first place, why he didn't necessarily feel like that was the right thing to do, because there are certain things that maybe. I don't, he doesn't agree full stop with Sharon or Zemo, but there are certain points that they make and certain things they believe that Sam can certainly understand in in his own way. So I I think, and for, of course, his own reasons. So I, that's the stuff that is so good and has made this series so rich so far that it would have been great to spend even a little more more time on that with Sharon. But setting that aside, after the party, we get to the shipping yard and they find Dr. Nagel who, uh, you know, he's chilling out to some music, working in his lab. And then, of course, he is approached by Sam. And and initially, Dr. Nagel doesn't care, but then he sees Winter Soldier, and that's a little scary. And then Sam says, of course, you know who this guy is as well, Baron Zemo. And this scene was a little- Yep. Not my favorite. There was a a little bit there that that was not great, but the information uh (laughs) that he communicated was valuable. We get the history of this character. We find out, because there was already that question last week, why aren't these super soldiers, why don't they bulk up? Why is there no machines or anything like that? Well, I think we already saw that there were differences as well in the Siberian Winter Soldiers uh, that we saw back in Civil War. But Nagel confirms that his version of it, it doesn't require any machines. It doesn't result in anybody getting jacked up. So that's why we don't see the size changes that we saw, of course, for Skinny Steve way back in Captain America, the first Avenger. But we also get a, an important sequence of events for how Dr. Nagel became involved. He was brought into HYDRA's program after the failed Siberian uh, test subjects. And those are, of course, the ones that Zemo killed in Captain America Civil War. After HYDRA fell... Nagel was recruited by the CIA. That's a very important detail, I think. Mm. They had blood cells from an American test subject. That, of course, was Isaiah Bradley. And there were semi stable traces of the serum in Isaiah Bradley's system. Of course, Dr. Nagel doesn't refer to Isaiah Bradley by name, doesn't even know who he was, just refers to him as a test subject, which, of course, is something that Sam notes later on in the episode. But Dr. Nagel had been working on it and developing it, and then he turned to dust. And when he came back, the CIA program had been abandoned. And then the power broker funded the recreation of Nagel's work. He made 20 vials, all of which were stolen by Carly Morgenthau, who recently contacted Nagel for help with Danya Madani. So this sequence of events for Dr. Nagel is very important, especially when we look at who recruited Dr. Nagel. So Hydra Fell, recruited by the CIA... Who went and worked for the CIA after Captain America, the Winter Soldier, in which Hydra fell and S.H.I.E.L.D. fell as well? Sharon Carter went and worked for the CIA. Mm. And when he says the CIA program had been abandoned, but the power broker funded the recreation of Nagel's work. Uh, well, who was who? somebody who would have known about the CIA program and the maybe after had been abandoned, but wasn't part of the CIA anymore after Captain America Civil War? Mm. Sharon Carter. And then mm. if we look at what happened here, if we look at another sequence of events, what happens here is as Nagel is explaining all of this, we see Zemo looking around for just stuff, and then he finds a gun, which maybe it was planted and maybe Zemo knew that, or maybe Zemo, he's a pretty smart guy, figured that Nagel would have a gun sna- uh, stashed somewhere for security purposes, for personal protection or otherwise, and found it, And but it's not so much how the gun got there, although that could be meaningful, but it's what Zemo does with that gun because while all this conversation is happening, Sharon Carter is busy whooping ass outside and and being in full John Wick mode, taking out all these people who are hunting for Zemo, Sam, and Bucky, and presumably her as well at this point, but then right as Sharon walks in saying that they're out of time, Zemo shoots and kills Nagel, and the timing of that is important, I think, because Zemo killed not only the one source of the serum, because Nagel has confirmed that he hasn't made any more, that Carly Morgenthau has the only 20 vials that he made. So killing uh, Zemo killing Nagel prevents Nagel from making any more, so there's no more super soldier uh, serum, although now that he's established it, it's probably easier for somebody else to be brought in to recreate it. Hmm. But Zemo has also killed immediately the only person who could have ID'd that we know of so far the only person who could have ID'd the power broker because Nagel's been working directly for the power broker who may have just walked in. Sharon Carter is definitely a strong suspect to be the power broker in this series. And even if she's not the power broker, there's gotta be some connection and she's gotta be working for or with the power broker. It seems like we, we see that she's got this whole new life for herself, that she's made a bunch of money And okay, the art that she sells justifies that, but it could also just be a cover for how she's really making her money. And she has all the connections to be doing this. So, I mean, the timing of when Nagel was shot was very suspicious, but it was also Nagel talking about being recruited by the same exact organization that we know Sharon Carter was working for.
1: Yeah, Nagel, the guy who played Nagel. Oh, boy. Sorry, this one's rough. Um This was a rough scene because of that, but it was, like you said, I didn't, there's a lot of different things going on with this. The whole power, power, power broker thing. I'm not even, I didn't even consider sharing. So it's kind of blown my mind everything you're saying. But what I, what I think is interesting is that, you know, there's, they've emphasized the fact that there's no, there's no bulk up. There's, there's differences. And one of the things I always go back to is, You know, the Red Skull, right? Why is he the Red Skull? Well, because the super soldier serum wasn't fully, you know, figured out yet. And Erskine dying and was a big deal and I think continued to be a big deal, I think, in the comics and I think in the MCU, because if anyone could just create a super soldier, they'd be everywhere, right? So it diminishes Captain America or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you have to have it be a limited thing or so it has to be something so different than cap that it makes sense. Like, like for instance, I was a little perplexed how the whole throwing the shield thing was going to work out. And I, I think they managed to figure that out with the whole John Walker throwing the shield last week and last episode. I'm like, okay, I, I get it now. Anyone can throw the shield. I get it. So, um, you know, cause it was to me, I always thought that the shield throwing and all that stuff was kind of all kind of tied into the super soldier serum, but whatever I digress. But what I do find interesting is the emphasize of like, there's no, you know, there's side effects, there's no bulking up. I think in my, I'm going to call it now. I think there's, there is a side effect to super soldier serum. There is something going on. And that's why she reached out to him again, that there is a side effect, but they didn't see it till recently. Um, and I think that's why they're reaching out to him and they need to figure out what the side effect is. Cause they're probably losing their powers or they're causing someone to die as we saw in the beginning of this episode. So, there's
0: well, the super soldier serum didn't cause Mama Danya to die. She died of tuberculosis, and that's actually what Nagel says. Carly reached out for Carly wanted, oh. yeah, Carly wanted help because uh, Danya Madani was dying of TB, and that's what Carly needed help with. So well, yeah, I, I don't I, think it's about what we I, could see though. Is I don't know so much about a physical side effect, but yes. could be yes. a psychological side effect. Perhaps because of what we see Carly do later on in the episode.
1: Yeah, so I think there's, I think there's something more there than just that. I, I think there's something, I think there's something to the side effects, and I think it's, again, it's it's the whole like kind of you know pick your poison kind of a thing, you know. And I think that's what makes K- Steve that perfect specimen even more important because he like he gets bulked up, he becomes like the physical embodiment of perfection. Yeah. And, you know, he just happens to be almost a perfect human, almost a perfect human being inside as well, or a good, you know, a very good person. Well, yeah,
0: Erskine said it, it amplifies the person who you are on the inside. It doesn't just amplify the physical being, it amplifies the emotional, psychological one as well.
1: So I think that's where we're kind of getting at, and I think there's we'll get to another couple scenes here in a, in a minute that I want to kind of emphasize about the super soldier serum. So yeah, I, I think, I think she reached out not just for that, but for other stuff too. I think there is, and we don't know she said she died, she died of TB. There could be more. I, I think there, there's something more to it and that's where I'm, I'm going to go with. So I, I'm sticking with it. I'm calling it now. We'll see what happens. Go for it. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of things going on here. I mean, I'm, I'm curious with Zemo,
0: like if does he know that Sharon is a power broker, are they if she is and, and are they working together? Because if I they, was wondering the same but thing if they are, because that's where you could say that, you know, Sharon knew which container it was, which I mean, that was information she could have got at the party where Zemo was dancing and, and whatever. But I mean, it's a fairly normal thing that uh, a gun would be in a place like that, just based on every movie and television show I've ever seen. So I'm OK with Zemo just searching for a gun and happening and and just. Finding one, and it makes sense that there would be one there, but maybe it was planted, and maybe Zemo knew it was planted, and maybe it was a head a heads up. Because I have seen some people. One of the criticisms I've I've seen of the episode from others that I don't necessarily agree with is the notion that, and, and I'm not the only one theorizing the whole Sharon power broker thing. All right, I'm not I'm not filing a receipt on that. There's that's out there, and there's plenty of people who are suspicious of her, but. I think that one of the criticisms I don't necessarily agree with, or it may not ultimately prove to be much of a criticism, is what a coincidence it is that Sharon Carter is in Madripoor, and that just so happens to be where Zemo, Sam, and Bucky went. Maybe it's not a coincidence. Maybe Zemo knew she was there the whole time, and that was exactly why they went there. All of that could have been coordinated, planned, and everything like that. And even if there is no connection or collusion between Zemo and Sharon Carter, it still works because Sharon had a legitimate reason to be there regardless. So it's totally fine with me. I don't really have any sort of issue with that specifically. But in looking at everything else that's happening here with Zemo, the only thing that makes me doubt that he's working with Sharon is he just killed, if Sharon's the power broker, he just killed her one source of super soldier serum. But That also feels like the kind of thing that Sharon shouldn't have minded so much. Like, if she's the power broker, like, why, and she needs Dr. Nagel, why the hell would she lead Steve, or not Steve, (laughs) Sam, Bucky, and Zemo straight to him? Like, why would you do that? You would try to throw them off the scent and figure something else out, or, or so you would think. But now that the serum's been created, it's one thing that you need a guy to finish making it. But now that Nagel has finished making it, then as long as she can get her hands on the vials that Carly Morgenthau stole, or maybe Nagel was lying that those were the only 20 vials, that maybe it's something that Sharon is confident that they can recreate. Although she's not totally happy about everything that's happened, because she does talk about there being a couple of problems a little bit later on. But a lot of suspicious things happening. Interesting to see if there's a connection between Zemo and Sharon Carter. You could even argue, because there's been the theory that's out there, and, and again, I'm not filing the receipt. It's already been out there in lots of places, that... If we're talking about Sharon Carter and maybe why her perspective wasn't quite as much of an about face as it may have seemed when we saw the the scene at her place in Hightown, maybe it's because she was already working with Zemo in Captain America Civil War. You could certainly point to a lot of things that she did and choices she made, led the characters along to the places they ended up in Civil War. I don't want to go too deep into that because maybe that'll turn out to be the case and we'll get more backstory on that. Maybe we won't. Either way, whether this is something Sharon's been up to for a long time or something that is more recent, I feel like there's got to, if she's not the power broker, and I think there's a good chance she is, there's got to be a strong connection. But I also feel like one of the other things we may learn about Sharon when we get more info is even though Endgame suggested she was blipped, if she was off the grid in Madripoor or wherever else, how would anybody even know she was blipped? Did they just, maybe there was just an assumption that she had been blipped because she was missing. And she hadn't checked in with anybody. But if she's off the grid and she and she blips, or even if she doesn't, no one's the wiser, really. Especially if she's got an identity where nobody even knows who she actually is. So I could see Sharon Carter having been around, not just for the two years between Civil War and Infinity War, and not just for the six months since Endgame in this show, but around for all five years uh, during the blip and before the return. I think she was probably around, and that's where she was establishing Everything that she's got going for herself, whatever that is in Madripoor, uh, as we're starting to discover in this episode. But Sharon is definitely suspect. And if we already know that she's not a fan of superheroes and the whole hypocrisy, of the whole thing, then just selling superpowers for profit and everything else. Well, I guess that kind of checks out that that aligns with her new perspective, that there's no good or bad. I'm just going to make the most of this flawed system that works for me. But I think the other question, though, is does that work for Zemo? And that's where I I have a little bit of doubts that Zemo and, and Sharon Carter are working together. I can see it, but I also have some doubts to it because I just feel like that is such a conflict. Like Zemo is just an outright hypocrite if he's working with Sharon Carter and this is what she's doing. But we can always uncover more information that gives Zemo a reason he can believe is valid and convince himself is the right thing to do. But anyway, that's just my long-winded way of saying, I don't really know. I could see Zemo tipping either way, but I definitely have strong suspicions about where what Sharon's role in all of this actually is. So then we get to a firefight. We get our action sequence of the episode. I love Sam and Bucky arguing about action movie strategy, or at least which direction and who should have followed whom. And Sam's talking about what happens in every action movie. But then we finally get Zemo wearing the mask, he unleashes hell and he looks great in the mask, just doesn't last long enough. I just wish it was more of Zemo in the purple mask. But yeah. a key point there, though, I, I think is that he really didn't let anybody else see him wearing that mask. So he grabs a car. Uh, they do. He picks up. Uh, Sharon, of course, is not going to go. She's waiting for her pardon from Sam. And then Sam sits in the backseat, Bucky up front in the passenger seat. And Sam, of course, says, you're not going to move your seat up, are you? Bucky says No which is only fair because Sam refused to move his seat up in Captain America Civil War. And then Sharon tells her driver slash bodyguard who's played by Megan Gillenwater that they've got a big problem or actually a couple of them. So what are these problems from Sharon's perspectives? Is one of these problems that Nagel is dead? As I said before, if Nagel being dead is a problem, why even lead anybody to Nagel in the first place? I just I don't see that. Obviously, Carly is continues to be a problem, and maybe the other problem is now Sam and Bucky, and that they are so close on this that they're gathering so much information. And maybe that's why Sharon got close to them in the first place, was to just try and figure out exactly what they knew, and maybe try and throw them off the scent a little bit while giving the impression that she was actually trying to help them. But anyway, I like the action scene. I like seeing Zemo in the mask. Wish that part of it lasted a little bit longer. And be interested to discover what specifically are the problems for Sharon Carter right now, and who may also be the power broker.
1: Yeah, I think that one of the things one of the things I wanted to talk about was they kept showing the vials that he was working on, mm-hmm. and um, just couple of random shots while after is after he they you know they put the rocket launcher uh, bazooka thing in there. So I started kind of thinking, what if Zemo took some of that stuff and just. There's just a couple. I just, I'm, yeah. They, there was a couple like real emphasized like vile shots mm-hmm. that I thought was interesting. I'm like, okay. I think t- someone, I think Zemo, someone took some something from somewhere in the, in his place and is going to use it. And I'm just gonna. And by the way, the mask was great. It was weird that he put it on and then t- took it right off. But again, I, I, there's a reason. And I think it's cool. I think so. I, I like the fact that it's not just a. Uh, again, it's definitely a Easter egg for us as fans who Mm -hmm. love the character and everything. I get that, but for a story reason, like there's a reason. And I think, and that's where I'm kind of, I'm very interested to see where they take it. So one of the things I think is interesting is the reason why I bring up the whole vials and all that stuff. And maybe what their side effects of, of the, of the serum is that in the comics, Zemo's face is deformed. Um, and he blame, and it's because he, got. uh, attacked by Captain America and get fried or whatever, you know, at some point. So I just kind of wonder, you know, with the mask and they brought that in and everything, I just, how is that going to come into play? And I just think there's something more with, with everything working there. I'm like, okay, how, because right now he, you know, his motivation is just like, I'm, I don't like these people. I'm just going to team up with you. I, I think with Baron Zemo and Captain America being enemies, like in the comic books, and I think that's the way it should be. Uh, there's going to be a reason for Baron's even to hate Sam specifically at some point. And I'm curious when that's going to happen, at least for, for me, I think there's going to be something there, maybe Bucky too. I don't know. whatever. But there's something there. I'm just curious where that is. And I'm wondering if taking the serum is maybe part of it, but the, either way there's the serum isn't out of the, it, the serum from that the whole explosion is there's something to be done with it. I, I think so. But yeah, Sharon Carter, I thought it was very interesting. Like I want to know what the heck's going on. It's, Yeah, it could go a a bunch of different directions. It it definitely has made her character more interesting at the very end. I'll say that. So Um, definitely. Yeah.
0: Well, and there's definitely there's still vials available in theory, right? Because there were 20 vials. Yeah, there were 20 vials. There were eight Flag Smashers who were super soldiers. That means there's 12 that we know of that are presumably unused. So there's still at least that many out there, but it could be even more than that why would we presume that Nagel was telling the whole truth?
1: Exactly, There's
0: no reason to assume that he is absolutely a 100% truthful witness because he was trying to not say anything and trying to be all tough in the first place. So the, the possibility that he was lying is a strong one. And so that's where I could see Sharon Carter being okay with the idea of Zemo killing Nagel, especially if it protects her identity. But I'm... Or maybe it's something where Zemo knows that she's the power broker and is trying to protect that because that's not—it's not so much the two of them working together, which it could be, but it could also just be that Zemo—he there's that there's power in him having that knowledge. If he's the only one now who knows that Sharon is the power broker, that that's something he can use to whatever end he is seeking out of this because he's gonna want something. I don't think this is just Zemo wanting to finish his work. And he'll eliminate super soldiers and be like, okay, we're done here. Zemo always has a bigger plan. And so I, I think that we will find out what that is and, and whether or not Sharon is a part of that is just something that I think remains to be seen. But we cut to the Flag Smashers. They're back in, uh, we're back in Latvia. And it's a conversation between Dovich, plays by, played by Desmond Chiam, uh, as well as Carly Morgenthau, And we get a little bit of backstory on both of them. Dovich did mob security in Madripoor. Carly thought she was going to be a teacher like Mama Danya. She went to Madripoor after she had been put back out on the street after the blip and everybody came back. And she described, because she knew there was something there that could help them, that, of course, being the super soldier serum. She describes the experience of taking the serum, like having fire in their veins and all of that. And Carly, has she already knows at this point so word travels fast out of Madrapur. She knows that Nagel was killed. I wonder who told her that. I, I don't. We don't know what Carly's contacts are and connections are. Is that a character we already know about, a character we've already met who's a main player in our story, or is she just getting the info from whatever anonymous sources she has over there? Uh, but she also believes that because Nagel is dead, that the power broker is going to come begging for the remaining vials of the super soldier serum I don't know that it's quite going to work out that way. I don't know that that's a realistic expectation based on how the power broker came after them in the last episode. But then we cut to Walker and Hoskins. They are at the prison from which Zemo escaped earlier in the episode. They know what happened. They know that Sam and Bucky broke him out, or at least they think they know that. We also we know the truth, actually, is that it was only Bucky. Um, but Lamar points out that there's no evidence to connect Sam or Bucky to Zemo's escape. And Hoskins acknowledges that, and, or when, as Hoskins acknowledges that, he even says, because there's no evidence, pursuing that lead would mean going off the books, which is not something they're supposed to do as Captain America and Battlestar officially sanctioned by the United States government. Walker doesn't care about any of that. And he says, Lamar, if we get the job done, do you really think they're going to sweat us on the how? And that's just more of Captain America not being what Captain America is supposed to be. That's Mm -hmm. essentially saying that the ends justify the means. As long as we accomplish our mission, nothing else is going to matter. But how you do it actually does matter, especially if you're Captain America. But that's Walker just not understanding and also just feeling like being Captain America means that whatever he does is inherently justified because he's Captain America. There's no such thing as Captain America being wrong. Even though Steve Rogers by the way, when such things happened, would admit when he was wrong in the MCU. Even told Tony he was sorry about not telling Tony about Bucky having killed his parents and how that created a disaster in Captain America Civil War. Steve's the kind of person who doesn't just assume that he's that it's right that whatever he's doing is right simply because he's Steve Rogers or he's Captain America and he wields the shield but John Walker totally feels that, and that's what makes him wrong to be Captain America. He is the wrong choice because of everything that he's showing us. He has done stuff to earn this spot. Yes, he's had a great career in the military, and yes, physically, he he tests off the charts, and he's intelligent. He's all these things. Three medals of honor, jumped on four grenades. Great. All of that's wonderful, but that All of those accomplishments, all of those achievements, that alone, those things altogether do not qualify you to be Captain America. There is something inherent within you uh, that you have. It's also, it's about the choices that you make. It's about your moral and ethical stance. And if your stance is, it's right because I'm Captain America, then you are the wrong choice to be Captain America. And we just see John Walker telling us that over and over again in this series.
1: Yep, exactly. I, I, I love, I I explain all my stuff for the beginning of the episode, but yeah, like this, it's emphasizes more of what John Walker is. And again, I like the fact that it's, this is the John Walker character that I like. He's not Captain America. He's not Steve Rogers, but you know, he is his own man. I like the fact that he's not trying to be Steve. He's, he is his own man. I give, I give him that much credit, even though he, he is not Captain America, obviously. So,
0: well, Being your own man doesn't mean you get to break all the rules, but nevertheless, it's not like the Avengers always followed proper legal procedure, but I I think it's more of the intent behind it, and it's the arrogance with which John Walker operates. Yes, he's arrogant, that's for sure. That certainly makes him less than likable. So we cut back to the plane, we have Sam and Bucky talking things out, Sam thinking about Isaiah, and wonders how many people have to get steamrolled for this hunk of metal, that hunk of metal being, of course, the shield. And Bucky talks about how that hunk of metal saved has saved a lot of lives. And Sam gets that, but then he says he thinks he made a mistake, but not the mistake that we would think Sam was saying he made as far as just not taking the shield. He says maybe he shouldn't have destroyed the sh- or maybe he should have destroyed the shield instead of putting it in a museum. And Bucky says the shield represents a lot of things to a lot of people, including him, including Bucky, Uh, We need a new cap, and it ain't going to be Walker, so before you go and destroy it, I'm going to take it from him myself. That conversation, I think, was key. And In an episode where we're talking so much about symbols and the flaws within symbols and how people forget the flaws within symbols and how that can lead to things getting out of control and having disastrous consequences, even if there were comparisons that weren't all that apt between Steve Rogers and the Red Skull. The point, though, about symbols and, and what they mean and, and how and the power that they can have, good and bad, does the bad power that they have mean that they aren't worth having at all? And that's kind of where Sam is leaning. But I think he's leaning that way right now because he's very frustrated for a lot of obvious reasons. But I, I think what Bucky's getting at here, and I do think that ultimately a lot of this is going to get through to Sam, is that idea of it meaning a lot of things to a lot of people. And it can mean even more things to even more people if that power is, if the power of those symbols is wielded responsibly by a responsible person who stands up for the right things, and that person eventually being Sam Wilson. So I really love this conversation between Bucky and Sam. I love when these ideas come up, and it does play off of points that were raised by Zemo and Sharon earlier in the episode. So we're building off of really interesting conversations that play thematically into what we're dealing with in this episode or in this series so even though that was a quick conversation between Sam and Bucky I found it to be very meaningful
1: yeah yeah I think I really like this the fact that you know it means a lot to Bucky to have Captain America in their hands at what Steve wants and I love the fact that again going back to what you said earlier Sean that this is you no know, Winter Soldier is going to do the dirty work and he's going to do what needs to be done, even though it's maybe not be what Captain America should be doing. It needs to be the shield needs to go from Walker. And I like the fact that it's going to be Bucky, it's going to be Bucky versus a US agent, which I'm pretty stoked about, to be honest. That's going to be a rad, rad moment. So I'm excited to see that. But yeah, yeah it's a great scene.
0: Well, I think we're going to see Bucky versus. John Walker, but we may ultimately see Sam Wilson versus John Walker as well and, and see who really takes the shield. But it's it's not just about who takes it, it's about who keeps it. And I think eventually that will be Sam. So we cut to our next scene back in Latvia and we see Carly crossing a line. So the same GRC facility that she and Dovich were speaking outside of earlier in the day. Now they have, they're taking supplies from that facility because it's six months worth of supplies medicine and whatever else that this facility has just been squatting on and she leaves the GRC workers and soldiers tied up inside and then as they get outside Carly is not going to take her car after Dovich asks her she hops in his car tells him to put on his seatbelt now and that's because Carly's car is going to blow up and thus taking the building that it was parked right out right outside in front of uh, takes that building with it so she has killed several people now in this scene by blowing this place up, and Dovich had no idea that that was going to happen. Presumably, the rest of the Flag Smashers had no idea that was going to happen, because we act- haven't actually seen them kill people. If you go back through it, I mean, we saw Dovich in the very first episode, he beat up a couple people, he beat up some police or soldiers who were trying to stop the Flag Smashers, but I don't know that he ever that he actually killed them. And when we saw them last week against Sam and Bucky and Cap- the new Captain America, not Captain America, and Battlestar, they didn't kill him. So we haven't really seen the Flag Smashers cross this line, and Dovich is genuinely surprised by what Carly has done, and she just says that it's the only language they understand, which we can understand why she feels that way, and... It'd be interesting to hear more about, I mean, I think her motivation on this is that this is her crossing a line because she's not seeing things clearly because she's lost someone who was close to her. Maybe it's also the super soldier serum at work, but I also don't know because it's not affecting anybody else that way. We don't see Dovich or anybody else leaning into that aggression that Carly is. But that's where we get into this murky territory with these characters where we've had the Flag Smashers, and and even Sam being someone who's kind of seen their side of it, that maybe they're just trying to help. If they're just trying to get medicine and vaccines to people, that's not an inherently bad thing to do, but murder is. So now they've crossed a line to where even if they stand for the right things, we have at least one member, the leader of the Flag Smashers, going about it in the wrong way and taking lives in that process. And unnecessarily, they already got everything they wanted. It's not like she killed people who were trying to hold on to those supplies. All the supplies had been taken, and then she still killed all of those people. I know the one guy called them filthy flag smashers or whatever as they were on their way out the door, but that wasn't necessarily how everybody felt, and even that guy dispensing an insult isn't grounds to kill him. So this is where we see, and and maybe the super soldier serum is at work here, but until they define that, I also have to look at the other implication, which is you know Carly being... So getting so lost in this idea that I mean we talk about symbols, right? The flag smashers are a symbol. And we mm-hmm. when you think about symbols as standing for an ideal that is flawless, that is absolutely the right thing, but symbols and ideals and symbols and icons and everything like that maybe they're not flawed, but the people who hold them up are definitely well they can totally be flawed, but even more flawed are the people that may ultimately represent or live by those symbols. Uh, And we see that with Carly, that maybe she stood for a lot of the right things, but she did something very wrong at this episode. And that's because in the end, she's human and humans are Mm -hmm. flawed.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: So that was a really, uh, I I really liked that sequence, not because I like seeing people get murdered, but I I like the dramatic stakes (laughs) that are defined in that uh, in that sequence. So we are still in Latvia to finish up the episode. But now it's it's Zemo, Sam and Bucky are there. Key lines of dialogue here from Zemo. I heard what became of Sokovia, cannibalized by its neighbors before the land was even cleared of rubble, erased from the map. I don't suppose any of you bothered visiting the memorial. Of course not. Why would you? So the guilt trip for Sam and Bucky is fair, although Bucky was uh, off the grid at the time, had nothing to do with the events in Sokovia. Um, and even Sam was off looking for Bucky. I mean, he didn't mm-hmm. really have anything to do with that. But the Avengers as a group, I guess, have not visited the memorial in Sokovia as they should have. But it's that line of cannibalized by its neighbors before the land was even cleared of the rubble erased from the map. How much you want to bet, Paul, that one of those neighbors is Latveria? <sighs>
1: Oh, I'll be stoked. If they, if they name drop Laveria in this, I will full on squeal. And I'll just like do jumping jacks and like do like whatever I can in the air to like excitement. Because that'll just, oh God. Yeah. I mean, it's official. I mean, they're part of the Fantastic Four is coming. We know that, right? So it's officially announced. So this would be the time to start hinting at a country of it's a, being run by a dictatorship. Yep. So.
0: Yeah, and for those who may not know, Latveria is the home of Doctor Doom, the greatest Marvel villain of all time, at least Absolutely. until the MCU elevated Thanos. But in Marvel Comics, for sure, there's no debate. Oh, for It's, sure, it's yeah. Doom.
1: It's Doom. So,
0: yeah. um, yes, Doctor Doom is a character that we know has an impending arrival in the MCU. It's just a matter of when, not if. And this really, and part of the reason I thought of this is because it's already out there as part of fan speculation. It's something some of us have been talking about, and we've talked about in our Discord community and everything else, that where is Latveria going to come from? I mean, ever since we knew we were the Fox deal was happening and Dr. Doom was on the way, how is how are they going to do this? And the idea of Latveria kind of taking over or expanding after you know the fall of Sokovia and, and Avengers Age of Ultron, it just always made sense. And Zemo saying this, like, why does he even have to say this? Like, he could just say, "Have you visited the memorial in Sokovia?" Why do they have to add that Sokovia was cannibalized by its neighbors and that it was erased from the map? Why even add that if it's not supposed to mean something? And I think it's supposed to mean something. And the most obvious thing that feels like the most meaningful thing in the MCU is to yes, set up Latveria, and it also sets up Doctor Doom. And so it just it makes sense to me. So I think that's our Latveria setup uh, that Zemo is explaining there. Doesn't mean we get the word Latveria in this show, but it's a line that we could see that could be paid off and, and connect to something else later on down the line. But uh, Sam Sam, and Zemo are going to continue the investigation as they're following this lead with Dania Madani and trying to find Carly Morgenthau and the rest of the Flag Smashers. Bucky says he's going to take a walk, but that's because he's noticed something. There are these little objects that you might recognize from a film from a few years ago, these little objects that kind of look like kimoyo beads, don't they? And kamoyo beads come from one place, that's Wakanda, and Bucky knows that that's where they're from, and he turns around to see Io, played by Florence Kasumba, who originally appeared in Captain America Civil War, also appeared, of course, in Black Panther, and she says, I'm here for Zemo. Wakanda didn't forget, just like Sam and all of us knew that they wouldn't. So this is, I mean, such a great way to end the episode. And wow, what a relatively unanticipated expansion of this story and and connection to the broader MCU. I mean, we knew that, of course, when you have Zemo, you have the connection to Wakanda because he killed King T'Chaka. We know that. Well, we didn't exactly know how Zemo was going to start in this story, so it didn't necessarily dictate that Wakanda would definitely factor into this story. But when Sam is saying that Wakanda didn't forget and Bucky's making a conscious choice to break Zemo out of prison, yes, that requires Wakanda to respond. And it's the way they responded that I found so interesting. They could have just gone right for Zemo, right? I mean, they have the ability to do it. If a bunch of the Dora Milaje showed up and just wanted to take out Zemo, they could have done it. And even Bucky and Sam would not be able to stop several Dora Milaje from being able to take out Baron Zemo. They wouldn't be able to prevent that. So the fact that Io leaves a breadcrumb trail of kimoyo beads to get Bucky's attention and talk to him one-on-one, I think that's a sign of respect for Bucky. I mean, we mm-hmm. yeah, we, we got agree. the... Allusion to his time in Wakanda and being called the White Wolf and everything we got that in episode two, and, and that's a certainly a term of endearment and a sign of respect that they gave him that title in Wakanda, but it's also an, an even bigger sign of respect that I.O. approached Bucky first before just jumping in and taking out Zemo. So yes, Wakanda wants justice for King T'Chaka, and yes, they're going to want Zemo to answer for that, but I.O. showing up there is also giving. Bucky, an opportunity to explain and then also be the one to potentially hand Zemo over. But it's also great to see Io. I think it was a great choice to have for her. You could be cynical about it and you could say, well, it's her because Florence Kasumba is probably more available and less expensive than Denai Guerrero, who played Okoye, or Lupita Nyong'o, who played Nakia. So it's easier to do that. But I also think that it's the right move for it to be Io anyway, because it's not just Okoye who's important in the Dora Milaje. It's all yeah. of the Dora Milaje, including Agreed. Io. So to elevate this character. And Io is a really important character in Tana nehisi Coates' Black Panther run, which points to perhaps an even bigger role for her in Black Panther 2. So the idea of elevating this character in the MCU and giving her this spot i think it's really really great and as i said what it says about wakanda what it says about io and what it says about their re- the relationship between wakanda and bucky is all really really interesting
1: yeah i thought it was a great moment um it just you you said everything really well right there and i can't really add much the only only thing i'm going to add is the fact that going back to why we love the mcu i love how connected everything is and that it's a surprise! This episode, the ending, how it worked—it felt like a twenty-two-page comic book where I was flipping through the pages, and the very end, you're like, "Oh my god, I forgot!" Like that one thing happened in that one comic, and now they're guest starring in this one. It's a perfect thing, and it really felt like a very natural, like like you said, Sean. Like it's there's there's more than one Dora uh, Dora Milag- Oh my god, I can't say these words anymore. um Dora Milaje. Uh, uh, character her. or yeah i got it um, you know person so the fact that this person shows up and we, we've seen her and she's one of the more you know more uh prominent ones makes sense and i i don't mind it because again you can't have everyone that like, show up it's just not it uh, honestly it broadens everything i think a lot better right? so i i love this part and i think i love the fact that we're going to explore the fact that wakana wants justice for For Baron Zemo. So I think it's going to I'm I'm very much anticipating what this will do for not just for them, but I think for Wakanda. I mean, what does that mean? Kind of a status quo kind of a thing. So I'm very interested where this goes.
0: I'm also interested to see if and how Bucky is going to be able to convince IO to not just go kill Zemo or not just take him. Because he's going to have to, right? Like she has Mm. the ability to do it, even if it's not going to be by herself with everybody else available in Wakanda. Although I think Io could probably handle it. It's not, it's the sort of thing where Io and Wakanda have to willingly allow Zemo to keep operating and helping out Bucky and Sam. But that also goes into the relationship between Bucky and the respect between Bucky and Io and also the people of Wakanda in a, a broader sense that if they may. Trust him if he says we need to, we need to do this now, and then I will of course hand him over to you. But I still don't think that's gonna work out because I think Zemo has other things going on. Although I don't necessarily think that, you know, it's because Bucky's gonna let Zemo go. It might be the sort of thing where Zemo, of course, is able to just get away on his own. We'll see. But that conversation between Bucky and Io, I'm really looking forward to. And the way they set it up and established it at the end of this episode was really exciting. and the way you put that is like the end of a monthly comic is totally that thing. There's mm-hmm. plenty of monthly comics that end with here's a brand new character just now showing up and or not brand new, but here's a character from another set of books, another yep. world within the Marvel Universe, and they're showing up on the last page. and now yep. we have to see what happens next, uh, and you have to wait a month, except this is Disney plus, and we only have to wait a week, thankfully. Yay. cannot yes. wait to see what happens in this next yeah. episode. Uh, But that is where we're going to finish our coverage of this episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But before we get out of here, just some folks to thank. Thank you very much to Frank R., Lucy G., Kevin M., Jordan M.L., and Harish N. They are some of the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, where we have exclusive podcasts that are not available anywhere else, including Patreon credit scenes where we discuss additional topics, that just don't find their way into these spoiler reviews that take up all of our time right now. (laughs) So this Patreon credit scene that is uh, corresponding with episode 197 of MCU Fan Show, we're going to be talking about that brand new Black Widow trailer that Marvel Studios just dropped. And so you can find that at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, or just click the link in our show notes. And remember to follow us in all those places
1: you can. We're at
0: MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Paul, where can they find you?
1: You can find me on my new YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Uh, and again, thank you for everyone who's already subscribed to it. Please go and subscribe. Like all the videos so I can get to that sweet, sweet, sweet algorithm. Um, and yes, follow me on Twitter at herman 22 at 2 ends, a.k.a. Pthug.
0: And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.